Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of MA Architects Make It Innovative, featuring deep dive discussions on the world of innovation as it relates to the built environment. Today, we have a Columbus favorite, Joe DeLoss, with us, the owner of Hot Chicken Takeover and a fan favorite among us all. Literally have not met a cooler person in real life. We're going to be having some great conversations about what's happening in the restaurant world and how to pivot going forward. And I know we're all really curious because we're all probably getting a little sick of cooking our own food. And I'll tell you what, this chicken is just getting hotter. I'm Mark Bryan. I'm a certified futurist and leader of the research and innovation team for MA Architects. And I'm Sam Dickerson, the senior manager of strategic communications with a real passion for behavioral psychology. On this episode, we are going to focus on restaurants, something I know we have all been wondering about. We are craving and trying to figure out what will change given our current living lifestyle and practices. Speaking with us today is Joe DeLoss, owner and head fryer of Hot Chicken Takeover, which is an Ohio obsession and has a huge following for its sauces as well as the food. Also joining us is MA Architects Principal and Director of our commercial studio, Lori Bongiorno. We had Lori with us on our last episode in her capacity as she leads our retail sector. And today we're going to be talking with Lori a little bit more about commercial restaurants. Lori has been with MA Architects for more than 25 years, specializing in retail and mixed use developments, as well as commercial projects. Hello, Joe and Lori. Welcome to Make It Innovative. Thank you. Hi. Yeah, welcome. So we're glad to have you on our show today. I've had the privilege of working with Joe on some of their brand guidelines and some of their new strategies going forward. So I'm excited to talk about more things today. But to kick things off, Joe, um, could you just give us the one minute elevator pitch of what it is, where you came from and what you do? Yeah, that's a lot in one minute. Okay, so maybe more about just Hot Chicken Takeover, where you came from. So Hot Chicken Takeover is an Ohio restaurant chain. We specialize in uh, really extraordinary hospitality and Nashville-style hot chicken. And so our restaurant's been around for about six years now, and on uh, we power kind of this extraordinary experience uh, for our guests with a really extraordinary team of people. And so our, our business was built to provide meaningful work opportunities to men and women that have just had a lot of adversity in their past. And um, that community spirit brings us into kind of the broader community in a, a really generous, gracious way. And We've been lucky enough to build a lot of momentum over the last few years, and people really like their hot chicken takeover, thankfully. Yeah, they Agreed do. more. Like I said, it's an Ohio obsession. Yeah. <laughs> Lori, we talked to you a little bit before about retail, so could you give us a little bit of your background at MA when it comes to the restaurant world? Restaurant projects are managed by my studio, and we have a broad expertise ranging from one-off custom restaurant design to prototype development and rollout work. Um, we have an in-house kitchen designer and an in-house experiential design team, branding team. So basically, we can handle everything from the build-out to the experience to the brand guidelines. Amazing. Yeah, I'm proud of proud of all uh, of that. Proud of us, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, Joe, we want to deep dive, get to know you. We have three questions we like to ask to get some insights into the real you on a more personal level. Sound good? In. Let's do it. What are you most excited about these days? Right now, you know, I my family's going through some really big moves and changes. And so we've we've kind of taken uh, you know, this broader universal paradigm shift that's happening in COVID nineteen and we're leveraging it into a move into a new physical space cool. for a family. Um, and kind of adapting our lifestyle to be a little bit more flexible as life feels a little uncertain. And so um, for a guy that used to live in a uh, vintage Airstream in a friend's backyard, um, I'm like living the dream right now because now my wife and kids are along for the ride. That is so awesome. Exciting. Very cool. What is the skill still unmastered? 
a skill still unmastered for me is uh, moderation. And so uh, entrepreneurs, I think, it, many of my peers are, are kind of known for going hard. And, um, and so I'm really trying to like master the discipline of moderation, whether it's, you know, mountain biking or uh, gummies. I really like gummy bears uh, <laughs> and gummy candy. And so I'm trying to learn how to moderate That's, one direction or another. I feel like you should keep with the mountain biking and the gummy bears or actually maybe get rid of the mountain biking and keep the gummy bears. I don't oh, know. No. Either way, some, <laughs> they go together extremely well. <laughs> Makes sense. I would imagine um, all the gummy bears before the mountain biking. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sequentially. Or yes. Yeah, I'm here for it. All right. Last question. One thing you cannot live without besides gummy bears. Um, so I'm going to not answer any of the people in my life because cool. um, without saying I'm just assuming they're there, uh, which might be the wrong assumption. Um, <laughs> and so one thing I can't live without, um, gosh, yeah, I think a bicycle. Cool. You know, I just am really kind of it. I get a lot of joy from riding a bike, whether that's like cruising around the city downtown or on mountain bike trails or on road biking. And so I need a bicycle in my life. Very cool. Great answer. Lori, we're turning it over to you. We know your passion for architecture, but we want to let our listeners in a little bit more about who you are. Here are your questions. What is your pump up song in the car? Oh boy. We need I to don't know. know why this stre- this question always stresses me out, but um, I guess anything by Prince or Queen. I love it. Live your truth. I'm here for it. What makes you smile the most? Well, my daughters always make me smile, but um, my niece had a baby yesterday, a baby girl, and that is making me smile a lot. Oh, babies. And last question, where does one go on a perfect road trip? Well, pre-pandemic, I would say to the beach. Now maybe around 270 or <laughs> in your car, in your car or um, my dad's lake house. Yeah, I feel that. Cool. You guys, I don't know about you, but during shutdown, I was literally getting to the point where I was growing resentful towards some of the pans that I was washing multiple times a day. I've never done more dishes in my life. So when restaurants finally announced that they were going to reopen like hot chicken takeover, I could not have been more excited. Makes total sense. I mean, you know, given a 2020 study that found 54% of Americans were actually cooking more at home due to shelter in place, and 75% of them are more confident in their cooking skills, too. <laughs> I might be of the 25, but I definitely perfected my banana bread recipe. <laughs> As did Jen Peterson, we heard from our last episode. One thing is for sure, the coronavirus pandemic will have lasting effects on attitudes towards food and the way we operate as a society. Despite social isolation and fear in this time of uncertainty, we are seeing communities banding together to overcome today's adversities as a group. People are creating destinations for local vendors and pop-up shops to occur within the areas they live. The neighborhood and community is really being redefined and reprioritized based on values, safety, and need. Food and society exist separately but really thrive together. These are two things that live together in so many ways. Food's a mean of culture and tradition and a reason for gathering, a cause for celebration. So, Joe, our first question for you. Um, I'm curious, you know, how has the team of Hot Chicken Takeover really found a way to encourage people to gather safely and, you know, encourage celebration? Hot Chicken Takeover as a brand was really built around a spirit of community from its origin. And, and so we, we quickly took an approach. So, granted, we did, we shut down when shelter in place occurred and, and didn't push forward with. Uh, kind of carry out immediately because we weren't sure how to safely do it on behalf of our team. Um, and, and so with that in mind, we took 
the downtime is an opportunity to really reimagine how our brand would reopen, um, which was uh, led to a lot of meaningful partnerships with our uh, architecture partner, <laughs> M&A, uh, uh, as well as, as many others. And so um, in terms of how Hot Chicken fostered community before, we know that looks different. We know restaurants with a whole bunch of communal tables in the near term don't make sense. And so um, as we reopened for carryout, um, though our dining rooms remained closed and, and do remain closed to this day, our emphasis was really about meeting the community where they were at. And so um, we really stepped up our digital engagement and um, started to create kind of engagement with our community of fans. Um, and as we started to serve food, started to get food out to the small groups of people that were gathering um, in the restaurant. You know, we did that by one, putting our, our guests and our team first in terms of safety and, and sanitation and all those things that you saw a lot of brands kind of release best practices on. Uh, but our emphasis was really, how do we still maintain kind of the integrity of our community experience? And um, probably one of the best examples of that is during that downtime when we shut down all of our restaurants to guests, um, we took the lead along with a couple other great Columbus brands like Jenny's, Homage, Pelotonia, uh, the Roosevelt Coffee House, to really foster um, a kind of a, a, a crowdfunding campaign to feed people in our community that were hungry. And so though that community spirit wasn't always happening in our restaurants because we, we weren't open um, or our opening was limited, uh, we still took that spirit from our brand and engaged our guests to support people in, in need in our community. And, and I think that kept a lot of people really engaged. You're definitely finding ways to relate to different customer sentiments in a really relevant and appropriate way, including not chicken. Shifts stimulated by COVID report consumers will increasingly look to source quality local produce and plant-based alternatives as fear and anxiety around the global food supply become more pronounced. Your not chicken plant-based option took over your restaurants in early September and has been a permanent vegan offering in your menu ever since. What is the mindset that your team carries to find new ways to make your best even better? Yeah, so, you know, COVID-19 presented a lot of opportunities for us to improve. And it's pretty unprecedented as a restaurant chain to just be able to, to turn off your cash registers for some period of time and reimagine everything. And also to reimagine it with the grace of the broader community to know things need to change. And so, um, you know, for us, that community spirit, spirit that's really fostered as part of our brand um, has led us to really imagine, like, how do we, how do we build a comfort-oriented experience that can be the most inclusive as possible? And so um, Not Chicken was kind of our first step uh, of many during that, down that path. So cool. And so we actually, during COVID-19, took a step further and, and realized that we can make that product with more integrity and, and, and less risk of cross-contamination. Uh, and so that product now is offered um, on Mondays specifically and is offered in a way that um, prevents any cross-contamination with chicken grease or anything like that. Um, the other step of that puzzle, we've taken it uh, a step further and very soon we'll be announcing gluten-free chicken as an addition on our menu. You heard it here first. Yeah, <laughs> you did. Well, depending on when this launches, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I know I appreciate it. As a plant-based eater, it's mm -hmm. definitely been something that I can now appreciate and have a meal at Hot yeah. Chicken Takeover, too. And, um, you know, and I, I, I think it, regardless of it feeling like the right thing to do to be inclusive uh, of more eaters, 
Um, the other piece of the puzzle is it makes us more inclusive to more parties. And so if you're in a party of four and um, you're a plant-based eater, um, hot chicken takeover wasn't a place you were coming. Um, but now we don't get that veto vote. Um, and, and what we've seen in past as we test products like that, um, it's really a rich experience to allow a family that hasn't always been able to eat together or a household that hasn't always been able to eat together to sit down at the same table and all enjoy the, the same experience, albeit, you know, with slightly different proteins. I love yep. it though. Yeah. We talk a lot for post-pandemic about choice, comfort, and control. We call it the three C's. And I think that you guys are such masters at offering that in everything that you do, that choice, comfort, and control is really what's going to drive consumer sentiment moving forward. And I think really progressive integrative brands are are doing that now. On the flip side to the rise of fresh food, comfort food is also high on the menu. Studies from the New York Times are reporting a nostalgic return to old favorites like hot chicken even among consumers that would otherwise consider themselves healthy eaters. We just spoke with Jen Peterson at Easton Town Center about how sparking joy is a vital part of creating comfort right now. Secure attachment is a psychological phenomenon incorporating concepts of comfort foods that create an association to a time or relationship that remind us of comfort and security. Highly palatable foods activate the same brain regions of reward and pleasure that are active in drug addiction. So that feel-good feeling really is real. Joe, how does nostalgia and that feel-good comfort come through to your guests with your brand and experience? Well, Hot Chicken Takeover is all about comfort food and, uh, and from in, environmentally, you know, we try to foster that nostalgia and that experience that you might have that's connected to a memory of your grandma's kitchen table, like it is for me, um, who, you know, my grandma is a namesake on our menu for that exact reason. Um, but for many people, fried chicken in particular is something that really fosters positive memories of family, of gatherings, of celebrations. Um, you know, for me, it was as simple as, uh, you know, coming up in a, a family that just didn't eat out a lot. And, um, you know, it was kind of a special night when a bucket of chicken showed up on the kitchen table. Uh, and it meant maybe my parents were working late or, you know, whatever it was. Um, but I have a lot of great memories of my small family and my sister and I sitting around fried ch a bucket of fried chicken. And so um, we are building that experience, I think, in a, in a lot of ways, both the nostalgia and the food. Um, and as we just discussed, trying to make that inclusive of um, others that might have that memory of fried chicken from a childhood, but now are plant-based or gluten-free and um, trying to evolve that. I love uh, that. Yeah. And what's actually interesting is that um, memory and smell are both in the same part of the mm. brain. So it's really easy to trigger a memory through smell. So I think the uh, the smell of fried chicken and having a meal together actually helps create that nostalgia factor too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And often we hear from, you know, customers uh, in reviews that, oh, this food, you know, this mac and cheese was better than my grandma's or, you know, whatever it was. And it's interesting how even people that were often not being compared to other restaurants, but were getting, you know, compared to family members or others or um, even when somebody says, well, I, you know, would I rather make this at home? And I'm thinking if you're comparing us to food that you make yourself in your own home, and we're kind of your secondary alternative, that to me is a huge win. What a compliment. Agreed. Yeah. That's cool. A really 100%. Yeah, family-based relationship with your brand for mm -hmm. sure. Agreed. 
So right now we are seeing the neighborhood restaurants are actually offering things like vouchers that will give customers extra buying power once they reopen, while others have quickly launched takeaway delivery services to bring restaurant-quality food to consumers at home. This plays into a trend of localism, which is really about supporting the community near you or the one that you're in. As part of the accelerated shift towards localism caused by the spread of the coronavirus, consumers are lending their support to local businesses affected by the shutdown. We are truly in this together. Seems to be a key sentiment and driver of decisions. These locally-minded consumers are an important shopper group for this year, demanding convenience and immediacy closer to home. Local feels safe right now, and it feels tangible, and these local vists are keen to shop smaller and build deeper ties with the environment, keeping their dollars within the community. A lot of this has caused many restaurants and brands to align their core values with the community. So I'm curious, you know, have you seen your core value of community change along with the customer's behavior during the pandemic? We have adapted you know, we've adapted our orientation and kind of tactically adapted our values um, because people need different things. You know, our guests need different support. Our uh, team members need need different support. But at the end of the day to us, it's just that we're a brand that puts people first, uh, both our team and our guest. And so I, I think functionally, we're doing the exact same thing we've always done. We've just, it just means something different. Um, and as we look at our kind of our core values as a brand, it's growth, respect, integrity, initiative, team, um, and growth. That first critical piece um, became fundamentally important to us when COVID hit. And so instantly, though we knew our brand was about to go, you know, through the thick of it, um, it became how do we leverage this opportunity like gen- generously and graciously to to improve. And um, so during all the downtime, we had three phases of what we called internally Project Phoenix, which was, you know, we cool. will be a phoenix rising from the ashes. And um, we launched about a year's worth of strategic initiatives that we had planned out in two months. Wow. And so our entire team, you know, after some shock wore off of like, what the heck is happening <laughs> yeah. to us? Um uh, just put we put our heads down and we started cranking out work and um, and so our team came back to a better environment. They came back to restaurants that were like new, um, and they came back to you know clearer expectations and and all these opportunities and and I was really grateful to see that value of growth show up in that moment um, when uh, what most people were doing was kind of not so much sheltering in place, but kind of cowering in place as brands and all the uncertainty. And, and we just were, were pretty bullish in that moment. I think that's brilliant. And that's true innovation when mm-hmm. you really think about it, because a lot of brands do get kind of caught up in their, their selves. Like they get stuck and they are unable to pivot when things like mm-hmm. this really happen. So I think that's great that you're able to take this. And I love that Project Phoenix yeah. kind of idea of rising from the ashes from all of this. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, because instantly it was, you know, headlines, particularly industry specific, were saying, you know, 20%, 40%, 30%, name the number of brands just aren't going to emerge from this. And though it looks like, you know, it'll probably be closer to that 20% number, um, we knew that our ability to keep building community, keep building meaningful employment opportunities, which is why we started the brand to begin with, um, was going to be in jeopardy if we didn't lean in. And so our orientation was um, there's going to be a lot of opportunity on the horizon of COVID. Um, And um, consumer behavior, of course, is going to permanently shift and all of these things. But we just have to do everything we can to posture ourselves to be opportunistic. 
um, because there's about to be a lot of opportunity coming down the pike. Agreed. I think it's such an interesting time. It's definitely an inflection Mm -hmm. point in history where a lot of amazing things can come from this and a lot of change that needed to happen. We were chatting 2020 is the year of clear vision. Really, we're really waking up to the change that needs to happen and things Mm -hmm. that can be better and, you know, different. Just because it's different doesn't mean it can't be better. It's really cool. But speaking of communities, I think that's such an integral part of your brand. Let's talk about your community and your team. One thing I'm really proud that MA and Hot Chicken have in common is our commitment to the community. CSR is really, really big for our firm. And it's something we admire so much about you guys. We know that creating meaningful, fair chance employment is a big part of why you started Hot Chicken Takeover. So I'm curious, how has corporate and social responsibility become a part of your company's DNA? And what are ways other businesses can incorporate these concepts into their own approach? For HCT, I mean, as you said, the impetus of our entire brand was creating meaningful employment. And I had been doing that work um, for probably eight years prior to Hot Chicken Takeover as an entrepreneur. And I, I just never had a, a vehicle that was commercially successful enough to to kind of validate this hypothesis that if you cared for your team in a certain way, they would care for your brand even more, in particular with uh, a group of fair chance em- employment candidates. And so, um, yeah, I, I knew nothing about fried chicken when How we started this. <laughs> um, I read a lot of recipes online and read a lot of comments um, of those recipes. And, you know, over the course of three or four months, kind of conceptualized this food brand really wrapped around a passion for just building teams. So awesome. Um, and so with that in mind, um, you know, as as we've grown, as our business has scaled through the years, uh, we've begun to validate that that our team um, is categorically stronger and better than our peers. Um, and so we know that our business is stronger because our people are stronger. And um, that's been written about in Harvard Business School cases and um, in plenty of kind of media. Um, but I think what often happens when people tell the story of hot chicken, it, it comes with kind of a, a load of like sympathy. And uh, I think of those kind of late night SPCA commercials with the sick puppies. <laughs> oh <God>. Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> uh, yes, Sarah yeah. McLaughlin always gets you right there. Um, and so, you know, that is uh, like maybe I can sign off as an orientation to sick puppies, um, but not as an orientation towards human beings. And so um, what we know is building an environment with a lot of pride, opportunity, and dignity is really what the transformative force is. And so that's been part of our DNA from the beginning. Um, you know, when it comes to like HR indicators and work productivity and everything, we're, we're generally anywhere from like two to four times better than our industry. Um, and that's 100% because of our work environment and, our, and the folks on our team. Um, so yeah, really, really proud of that. I, and I think... You know, on top of COVID-19, we had hundreds of years of institutional racism rear its head and um, uh, finally had an, enough momentum for uh, a lot of tremendous people in the community to have their voices heard. Um, that overlaps really well with Hot Chicken Takeover's team and the experience they've had in the world, and their experience with uh, the criminal justice system. And so we found it um, as kind of a, another great call to action to, to catalyze our team into momentum and um, be, be kind of a meaningful contributor on, on the community landscape too. 
Shifting into uh, the built environment, actually, now due to some of the changes due to the coronavirus, what I would love to hear from you, Joe, was just maybe your top three priority list. And then maybe, Lori, we could pivot to you and you could tell us maybe architecturally what some of the changes were that we made due to those priorities that Joe and his team came up with. So when it comes to you know creating opportunity out of, out of a global pandemic, um, we had a construction project that just started um, <laughs> that we had all worked together on to design and, and we're really excited about that. Um, but of course, uh, things changed and we took it as an opportunity to imagine what's the hot chicken takeover of the future look, uh, look like. And we were really grateful to get that inquiry and start that dialogue with M&A to figure out how do we reimagine our physical space um, to be more compatible with where people are at. And so this particular site that we were working on was was uh, not just in timing perfect, but also from an opportunity perspective, it was already zoned as a drive-through. And so for us, we really latched on to your three C's, you yeah, know, that's <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, from day one and actually kind of integrated that uh, as we approached our team and our, our internal culture as a thread that we pulled through uh, that we were really, really kind of just struck by as, as M&A shared that with us. And so this particular site uh, perfectly led to convenience. Um, and so we're really thankful to kind of reimagine that. And uh, the city of Westerville, where that restaurant is, is also really excited for us to <laughs> uh, reimagine that. And so I think we're going to have a new prototype restaurant by the end of the year. Uh, that might be the basis for kind of how we honor what where our community is at and what our community needs, uh, while still allowing us to have kind of some stretching space to to grow into some uncertainty. So, how do we translate it, that into space then, Lori? Well, um, we did a couple charrettes. It was a lot of fun to have this to do during this time. But it was so important to maintain the hospitality focus and the sense of community that is the brand. So the front of house changes were really tweaks, not drastic. It was more about uh, the customer path and and maintaining social distance and um, eliminating self-service areas and that sort of thing, reducing the amount of seating inside um, with the flexibility to add it back in in the future. Um, but also increasing the size of the outdoor seating area. Um, most of the changes, the drastic changes, happen back of house in the kitchen area in order to make it more uh, efficient for drive-through traffic because they noticed a major uptick at the Clintonville location where they have a drive-through window during the pandemic. So that was reorganized, and um, for the worker safety there's stations now where they, they don't need to walk around as much. They have everything they need right at their stations. So um, we looked at it from a customer and a, an employee uh, safety standpoint. And I'm just curious, you know, given your history with restaurants, how, um, how big are these changes you know, for the customer journey overall? Um, I, I think it's the three C's. Now there's uh, more of a, a choice to have takeout or to eat in or to eat on the patio or to, um, you know, go through the drive-thru. Um, the drive-thru brought another opportunity to add branding moments and ways to connect with the customer through the brand because, you know, it's, it's less of a hospitality experience. 
it's a completely new touch point really when Correct. you think about designing mm-hmm. for the the guests themselves so one thing that i always like to look at is the future and i think it's wide open for change right now uh, we went from drive-ins, diners, private dining, sharing meals, to now really having a curated dining experience that could be about a social me- social message or um, about a different food platform. Uh, we're seeing restaurants explore outdoor pods, greenhouses, or bubbles that allow separation for fine dining, mannequins being set up in restaurants to um, allow for separation, which seems creepy. a little creepy to me, <laughs> um, or even like personal shields that are coming down uh for each individual person in a dining restaurant. So I want to hear from each of you. Um, what are the the signals and drivers of change for the future that you think are going to have positive impacts on the restaurant industry going forward? So Joe, do you want to start? Sure. I mean, we've decided to just plastic wrap all of our guests when they came in the restaurant Done. Very spider-like, uh, to keep right? them so very safe. Yes. Um, no, you know, I think it's, I think for us, um, there are, of course, going to be lasting impressions here uh, of what guests expect. And um, we want to do our best to honor an environment where guests feel the warmth and comfort and nostalgia that they did previously. And I think the the heavy emphasis towards um, distance and um, and kind of the nature of sanitation, as you think about it, feels very sterile. And, and so for us, as we adapt, we're trying to evolve that in a way um, that still really honors the, the warmth and nostalgia and comfort of our brand. And um, I think that's here to stay, at least for a hot chicken takeover. Um, and uh, I think the way we deliver that is the way we communicate and um, the way that our team interacts. And so one choice that we've very conscientiously made is that um, we will not pursue kind of technology uh, as a full replacement for human interaction. And so though we have, you know, the ability that we could put tablets in the front of house and, and they could be sanitized and guests could order for themselves, um, we know that we can appropriately and safely um, protect our guests and our team members, uh, whether through plexiglass or mask or whatever that is. But um, nothing said we couldn't talk to each other anymore. Um, and, and as brands, as the pendulum swings for many brands to this more sterile um, technology-focused hospitality, um, I, I hope that um, you know, our hedge that comfort and hospitality with human interaction uh, is going to be a meaningful differentiator as we grow. Um, because nothing, nothing says fried chicken uh, and nostalgia like an iPad. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're going to stick to um, using technology as a vehicle to enhance human interaction, um, not replace it. Stay true to your brands. Mm-hmm. Lori, how about you? Um, well, we're seeing curbside pickup becoming the norm and becoming a planned part of the design for the, for the project. Um, pop-up dining spaces, um, flexible outdoor seating that can expand in the summer, um, integrating augmented intelligence, not not uh, going full technology, but having uh, technology that augments the, the human touch. Um, so low touch, but high impact customer experience, and that focus on choice, comfort, and control and providing those choices. Great. I mean, I think the drive-up culture is going to explode after all of this. So I think we're all going to see a lot more curbside uh, oh, pop-up shops going it's forward. It's wildly convenient, but nothing replaces human connection. And I think time and isolation really has demonstrated that no robot will ever replace what it feels like. No Zoom call will ever replace an actual happy hour or an actually family dinner. It's really those moments that 
I think we'll treasure now more than ever. So it's a really cool time. Agreed. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of it. Well, that's our show. So thank you, Joe. And thank you, Lori, for being a part of our show today. Uh, We are so thankful that you could share your innovations and insights. These are the innovations that will help our listeners find inspiration in their own lives in the days and weeks to come. We are excited to hear about what happens. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at ma-architects.com, where we have an entire COVID toolbox up and running that covers the wide variety of sectors that we serve. And if you want to continue the conversation, feel free to email me directly at markb at ma-architects.com. Once again, I'm one of your hosts for Make It Innovative, Mark Bryan. And I'm Sam Dickerson. I hope you can find the change you want to be to allow innovation to thrive in the way you live. Thanks again to our guests and have a great day, everyone. Make it innovative. Thanks, guys. Thank Thank you. you.